With Joe. They're not human, they're brutal. You have to be ready. And Sam. To catch his hunter seekers in his bare hands like a hero of old. Thanks <laughs> for the humiliation, old man. I keep an eye on you. Welcome to the Movie Planet, our final show of 2022. Au revoir. Uh Uh-huh. Joining me is the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, or is it Harkonnen? Tomato, tomato. Okay. To my Duke Leto Atreides, Sam, welcome back for the final show. Thank you. You have been the prominent member of 2022. As it should be. (laughs) And it shall be forever and ever. Amen. My... Uh My Spice, my Arrakis. Yes, this week, my podcast. you have nominated Dune from 2021 for the Space Fantasy Pantheon. Oh, I watched, I'm doing the 1984 version. Well, then we'll have much different opinions about this. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the, rem- the version I remember seeing, not enjoying this. I was like, okay, am I going to see the 1984 version here? Because if so, I'm going to fucking hate this one too. Stinging a thong, dude. Dune and, Bla- and uh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Those are the ones where I'm like, I don't know, but Dune has been saved by Denis Villeneuve for me. You've been saved. Dune has been saved from me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this is kind of nice because for the first time, we finally have a a category where it's been populated by every single, every film in there is a Star Wars movie. And now we get something different in there. I was about to say, we need to add some sci-fi in the next year. Listen. You're not telling me twice. I know we did sci-fi. We've done Jurassic oh, Park space. and all that. Was it space, space fantasy? fantasy? Yeah, because you're traveling all over the goddamn place. It takes place in space. There's you know, witches. It's a fantasy, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's not that far. I make a case later on that this very well could be happening in the Star Wars universe or a Star Wars in the Dune universe. It could happen. It could happen. It could happen. No, we're gonna keep that separate. It could happen. The trash from the diamond. I'm talking about episodes one through six, not what happened after. <laughs> we don't speak about Bruno. <laughs> okay. Uh, in the Space Fantasy Pantheon, at, here is the new order. <clears throat> Revenge of the Sith is number one. God, that makes me so fucking happy. Empire is number two. Fuck yeah. Return of the Jedi is number three. Whew. Number four is The Force Awakens still. Fine. Yeah. Number five, The Phantom Menace. Number six, Rogue One. Number seven, A New Hope. Now that we've handled that business, hey, let's talk about a movie that's not Star Wars. Finally. Yes. Dune, 2021's Dune, a movie made for $165 million that brought in $401.8 million. Honestly, yes. I'm kind of surprised it was just $165 million. It looks like it was worth more. Yeah, or way more. Yeah. Uh, screenplay by John Spates, Denis Villeneuve, and Eric Roth. Directed by Denis Villeneuve. Based on Dune by Frank Herbert. Music by... Hans Zimmer. Opened on October 22nd in theaters and HBO Max, which probably accounts for why its box office is very average. Yeah, it was a weird time. We were like on the other side of COVID, but people still weren't going to go to the theaters. Which is, if you watch this movie on a TV, I'm sorry, you're not. 
doing it right. The first time I saw this was on a, on a TV. It was. It was. I, I sat in my TV over here and I watched it because it was on HBO Max right away. They did it the same day. Um, but runtime, two hours and 35 minutes. Take that, Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> rated R. What was it rated R for? Uh, it's rated R. It's rated R. Huh. Could have fooled me. I know. Unless I'm wrong, unless I didn't change that, which I don't believe happened. I don't think it's rated R. Because I took this and I just copy and pasted the Lay Miz stuff and I copy over that and Lay Miz wasn't rated R, was it? <laughs> uh I think Lay Miz was rated R. <laughs> the hookers? Oh, you're right. PG thirteen. Yeah, PG thirteen. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> like if it if this was a fucking rated R movie, I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> Let's see some blood I mean, there was there was some dark stuff, but it wasn't like that's how I was looking. I was like, how? How was it R? Okay. Tim, starring Timothy Chalamet, your favorite actor, as Paul Atreides. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson as uh, his sister, no, his late, his mother, I guess, Lady Jessica Atreides. Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto Atreides. Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho. Stellan Skarsgård as Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Harkonnen. They, I always thought it was Harkonnen. And then they I just kept said, saying Harkonnens. I always said Harkonnen. You did? Okay, so you're well. You are the resident, but I'm a expert. southerner. I just fucking I just didact shit. Okay, uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson as Thufer Hawat, uh, Josh Brolin as well. You can only see him as Thanos, but he's Gurney. Uh, Javier Bardem as Stilgar, Sharon Duncan Brewster as Doctor Lee Keens, Cheng Chen as Doctor Wellington Ua, Dave Bautista as Glasso, Robin Harkonnen, Dave Desmalchian as Polka Dot Man, Peter DeVries, and Zendaya as that girl who you saw in all the commercials, commercials. who's in the movie for ten minutes, and MJ once again, and MJ. <laughs> I don't get it. She, I just don't get it. She's she's been typecast. She's she crushes it. She's sorry. She is crushing it. Yes. Look, but you her come to fame is euphoria at this point. <laughs> yeah. According to IMDb, this movie had many different taglines. Which one's your favorite? Is it Beyond Fear, Destiny Awaits, or It Begins? Fear's the mind killer. Is that yours? That's mine. That's a good... You know what? Yours is better than both of those. Fear is the mind fear killer. Fear is the mind killer. Yeah. I, I, for me, it'd be beyond fear. Destiny awaits because it is talking about Paul's destiny at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, do you remember seeing this for the first time? What did you think? Oh, God. As the Dune fan, what did I, you think of this? I didn't even bother inviting anybody or telling anybody I was going. <laughs> Because this is this is a me time. Yes. This is a me time. If my dad was in town, I would have invited him. Because, God, he showed me Dune when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, so IMAX, right in the fucking dead center, just in it to win it. <laughs> um, I saw it at home. I was not a Dune fan. I... I have a blind spot with that and Blade Runner. I know it. So I sat there in my home and I was like, okay, I'll watch this. And I started with my arms crossed. I will be totally honest. And by the end I was like, oh my God, this is so, this was, this movie was so good. I rewatched the 1984 version afterwards <laughs> to see how much better it was at telling the first half of that movie in a whole movie. One of my favorite memories of seeing Dune for the first time and just being fucking floored. Mm. 
was immediately after the movie was done, there's two fucking dumbass white girls in front of me. And, you know, there was a lot of mixed reviews with people talking talking because they don't know dune they don't know anything about it yeah but the two girls the two white fucking dumbasses got up and they're like that fucking sucked <laughs> i was like great that means i love it even more it's not for you get out of here they just <laughs> were not into they were there to see zendaya <laughs> and they waited a long time <laughs> oh my god well let's get into how this movie came to be don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies, I make films. David Lynch's Dune, produced by De Laurentiis in 1984, was intended as a three-hour film, but was cut to 137 minutes. It was poorly received, and Lynch himself ended up disowning it. <laughs> In 1996, the producer, Richard Rubenstein, required the rights of the novel. A live-action miniseries produced by Rubenstein, Frank Herbert's Dune, aired on the Sci-Fi Channel in 2000. That was the first Dune I ever saw. Was that the was the first? Okay. So you didn't I, went, see the, I went backwards. Okay. You didn't see the 84 first. I know. Oh. Uh, it was a ratings hit and was generally better received than Lynch's film. <laughs> well... And there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. With a series, you can take your time. You can have more time to tell the story. Now, if you watch, and watch those. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you see those special effects, sci-fi special effects, now mm -hmm. you're like, holy fucking shit! It's bad. It's so bad. Some reviewers criticized the miniseries for lacking the spectacle afforded for a feature film production and for staying too faithful to the book and being dragged down by exposition. Prospects to make a successful adaptation of Dune improved after the critical and commercial success of the film series adaptations of The Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, both of which maintained most of the work's key characters and plots while managing the limited running time. So in 2008, Paramount Pictures brought on Peter Berg to direct an adaptation. Berg left the project in October of 2009 with director Pierre Morel brought on to direct in January of 2010. Paramount then just says, fuck it. We're dropping the project in March 2011 as they couldn't come up with any key agreements with their rights reverting back to Rubenstein. So, it's a no, hard book to do. Oh my God, it's fucking brutal. It's yeah. even like the casual reader has a hard time getting through it. I mm. had the first time I read it, I had a fucking hard time. It's a dense book. I've, I've never gotten through it. There is, and there's no shallow water going into the deep end. It's just deep end. Yep. Uh, in 2011, uh, Legendary Entertainment uh, acquired the adaptation rights. Eventually, Legendary acquired the film and TV rights for Dune on 2016. Variety reported in December of 2016 that director Denis Villeneuve was in talks with the studio to direct the film. He wanted to do it, uh, and he eventually just said, fuck it, let's give it to this guy. He seems to have a good idea of what he's doing. He did Arrival. He did Blade Runner 2049. This is your guy you want to do for Dune. Oh, there's, there's nobody else that could have done this better. I agree. Uh... As soon as, because I remember hearing the talks about like the new Dune movie coming out mm -hmm. and I was stoked, but it kept getting, you know, dropped and I was like, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. They just can't do it. Yeah. And then as soon as I found out Denise was a part of it, I was like, this is the perfect choice. Yeah. This dude was made to make the new Dune. For the sake of this podcast, can we just call him Dennis? Yeah. Okay. 
We're calling him Dennis. We know it's Denis Villeneuve, but let's be honest, we're American. We don't want to do that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to skip down here because it's all about how, you know, all of them want to write. And it's all the pretentious bullshit of, oh, I want to do this and this and this. Yeah, we know. You want to do everything that the book does, but you only have so much time. Let's get to the part that I know you're really interested in. It was reported that Timothy Chalamet had entered final negotiations to play the lead in the film, Paul Atreides, in July of 2018. And so let me just cool. say, I will never forget the hate that you had for this casting when it first came out. <laughs> Yeah, I still have issues with it. Do you really? Yes. Like, is it still the same thing where you're just like, he's too small, he's too thin, he's too weak, too meek? No, I was I was super hesitant, but I'm thinking future. Mm. Because mm -hmm. in the book, he's 15 years old in the beginning, and then he's a man. Timothy Chalamet is a good boy, yes. Atreides. He's a good boy, Paul. But is he a man? He's not a fucking man. No. What's he going to do? Fucking put on 80 pounds of muscle? What if he did? He'd still be a little... I don't know. What well, if he, he beefed up? I would like to see that. A beefed up Timothy Chalamet? <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't work. That's like, you know what I want to see? A skinny Jason Momoa. <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, like... What would... Jason Momoa look like as Paul, like old Paul. But I mean, you haven't gotten there yet. No, no, no. But like, okay, the best I can think of is like Chris Evans when they took all his muscles off for Captain America the first time. Oh yeah, and they have him tiny like that. It would look really awkward. Hey, that's Paul Atreides right now. Yeah, he's a fifteen-year-old prince. Yeah, doesn't have to exercise. Doesn't have to do anything. He he's fine. Yeah, but in the long run. He doesn't fit the bill. Well, my problem is with the next casting, which is Rebecca Ferguson as his mother. Because I think she looks too young to be his mother. Does she too, look too young to have a 15-year-old child? Well, she looks too young to have had Timothy Chalamet, because I don't buy that Timothy Chalamet is 15 in this. I see him as that like 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old range. Mm. Uh, because he, I, I work with kids that are just a year younger than him. Yeah. He's older. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, like, Rebecca, Rebecca Ferguson, if you were going to have Timothy play this, you needed somebody a little bit, someone who looked a little bit more aged than Rebecca Ferguson. Maybe she's just on her moisturizing regime. That's wonderful and all, but you don't buy that she's supposed to be his mom. I see an older sister. Okay, I can kind of see that. Yeah. I buy, I buy the mother and son relationship but i see weird it's, I see it. it's like the same issue that people had with uh aunt may being marissa tomei <gasps> yeah but no. but here's the thing first bless marissa tomei was 54 years old at the time she was aunt may age she doesn't look aunt may age god bless her <laughs> god bless her uh best aunt may we ever had <laughs> Yes. Dave, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> Dave Batista, Stellan Skarsgård, Charlotte Rampling, Isaac, Oscar Isaac, and Zendaya joined the cast in 2019. Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Jason Momoa. They all came on and they're like, shit, this is an actual movie. This will work. In 2019, it was reported that the film would gender swap the character Leah Keynes by casting Sharon Duncan Brewster for the role. Nobody noticed. <laughs> yeah. Did, was she, I didn't even, she, was she even in 
The original 84 version? Uh, Leah Keens? Hold on one second. Because I don't remember seeing her in that movie, and I just recently watched it. I don't remember. I thought she was a new character. I don't even remember her from the book. Yeah. Like, I thought she was a new, a totally new character. Maybe I, that was a part that I skipped. Because there, there is a difference between the book and the movie. Yeah. It's subtle, and it kind of works. It, it's enough to where it works, and I don't complain about it. The leading role of Fremen ecologist Dr. Leah Kynes, a male character in the novel, was given to actress Sharon Duncan Brewster to help expand cast diversity. But... Okay, she did a great job. She did fine. I like I if you had told me that it was a male, I'd been like, I don't even remember, so it works for me. Yeah. I, I don't care. No, it was great. It was work. She is a side character at best anyway. Yeah. And that's the that was the point. And I think that's the only reason like they really had her seats, because the what what happens with them doesn't happen in the movie. No, the no, no, no. And uh, what I like is well, we'll get to the Fremen. I they did a great job with making the Fremen almost like so foreign they could be everything yeah uh okay we talked about how we saw this movie and all that stuff let's talk let's get into this motherfucker now i'm glad you've come i believe your people and mine have much to offer one another you are outworlders you come here for the spice you take it giving nothing in return that's true i know you've suffered at the hands of the harkonnen Name what you want. If it's in my power to grant, I'll give it and ask for nothing. Mm-hmm. I ask for this. Do not seek our sieges. Do not trespass in our lands. The desert was ours long before you came. So come and dig your spice. But when you have it, go back to this side of the shield wall and leave the desert to the Fremen. You will address the Duke as my lord or sire. Gurney, just, just a moment. The Emperor has given me Arrakis as my fief to rule and protect. I cannot promise not to travel into the desert if duty compels me. But your sieges will be yours forever. And you will never be hunted while I govern here. That's very honorable. I must go. That's all I have to say to you. Won't you stay? We would honor you. Honor requires that I be elsewhere. She gave she. The story opens with a woman telling a portion of her people's history on the desert planet Arrakis. The woman Chani is a Fremen. She explains that since before she was born, the planet has been ruled by the cruel Harkonnens who have grown enormously rich, harvesting the psychogenic substance melange, melange, also known as the spice. The Fremen have been trying to expel the Harkonnens, but to no avail. Recently, however, the Padisha Emperor Shaddam IV, the fourth, has ordered the Harkonnens to leave Arrakis. Chani wonders who the new rulers will be. You missed one of my favorite parts, or at least this missed my one of my favorite parts. Which is? That opening Belch? Chant. Yeah. <laughs> the belch? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a it's a tool used throughout this film and it's something so small. Yeah. That is so powerful. No. Because as soon as because the screen is fucking black. Mm-hmm. And you hear this sound. Yes. And you already are, you're painted a picture of what you're about to see. It's creepy. It's fucking creepy. There, It's sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And there's something interesting 
it's like to me it's different i don't like that sardaukar chant i don't know of any other i don't know another reference where that came from i don't know either i just know that it's haunting oh yeah and as soon as you hear that you ought your brain just goes it turns into i'm going into another world at this point yeah uh the title card says Dune Part 1. Did you know that this was a two-parter when it first no, came out? No, that sneaky son of a bitch. <laughs> no, I got so giddy in the theater because I was like, man, there's no, there's like, there's no, like, I remember there, the second one wasn't even greenlit. So right. it was like, this movie has to do good, but there also was no talks of Part 2. Right. At all. <laughs> when I saw the Part 1, I was like, how did we miss that on our show? <laughs> Because they never revealed it. Right. Which And it's that sly motherfucker. I and, loved it. I was that, like, cool. Great. I know exactly where they're going to they gonna stop this. This is good. And what I liked, again, I that got my arms to uncross a little bit because I always thought this story is too big for a two and a half hour movie. Mm-hmm. And when I saw the part when I was like, they might have done something sneaky and good here. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately, I was on my phone going, is there a part two? It's not been greenlit? What the shit? Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, with the that first scene, I mean, I fucking, my jaw was on the floor. Is that the scene where they... It's where the Harkonnens are mining and yes. it's the sandstorm. Yeah. And the fucking weird missiles. It's like, this is like, Oh, this is like Avatar all over again. Like I'm seeing some shit. Yeah. Uh, It reminds me of how we felt about Les Mis' opening. We were just like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. This is a movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he, God, he, I'll say it multiple times. Like, Denise... Sorry, Dennis. <laughs> I'm just Dennis. Denise. Sorry, I gotta just say Denise. Denise fucking nailed the look of Dune. Like this is how I, in my mind, yeah. at least on the scale and like, like the feel mm-hmm. of it, he fucking nailed. Like all those books that you read, this was like exactly. Well, it's close to what you pictured in your. It's head. A close to what I pictured. Yeah. Minus like the '70s. In art style. Well, that's the thing is this is a, is this a very artsy looking opening. You yeah. could take screenshots oh of this God. thing and make it a wallpaper and it would be beautiful. Fuck yeah. Uh, but I also got to say this. The intro to this movie is a hell of a lot better than 84's. Okay. Because I understand more because it's being told from the Fremen's point of view. And this version to me feels now more accessible than just having some haunting lady talking to you from space going in and out of the stars. Yes. Uh, yes, this opening works way better. Yeah. And it's because you're not getting hit with a fire hydrant of lore. Yeah. Because you, we don't even know about the, na- like this whole movie, we don't know about the navigators, which are like right. part of the offshoots of the spice users. Well, that's the first part of 84 was you, you actually see you the see emperor. The na- you see the emperor, you see the navigators, which are weird creatures and tanks. Yes. But I also have to fault this movie as of right now, but this will probably be explained in the part two, that... There's a lot that goes on that involves the emperor's um, plans that don't make sense unless you've seen the beginning of the 84 version. You go, oh, because that's what was going on back then. 
or at, at that from his yeah. his standpoint. And so I'm watching this lot going. I don't understand why the emperor is doing any of this. It doesn't make sense for his planet. But then you watch the 84 and you go, well, now I understand why. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's where the opening works better. Yeah. But you, and you know, there, there is points I make where this needs a part two. Absolutely. It has to have a part two, but that's, it's in the fucking name. Yes. <laughs> Surprisingly. <This is> part <laughs> one. So Denise did a great job. Yeah. of slowly introducing things and even like leaving things out that aren't really important to the average viewer. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be hard for me to take my brain out and go like, well, I know this, Yeah, but you don't. Right. Well, that's okay. And yeah. because this is a movie. It's but, like, this is most people's intro to Dune. This is like when we were doing Star Wars with JC and he had like all the, every book imaginable read. And he's got like all this lore in his head. And I'm like, I'm glad you're here for this because I don't know half this shit. Yeah. Um, on the planet Caladan, Paul Atreides eats breakfast with his mother, Lady Jessica, Duke Leto's concubine. <laughs> A member of the quasi-religious order of the Jedi, Benny, Benny Jesuit. sorry. Uh, Jessica has been trying to teach her son the special powers of her order. The Schwartz? The Schwartz. She tests Paul by having him try to compel her to pass him a glass of water. Paul is only partially successful. Paul learns about the planet Arrakis and its people. It is the only source of the psychoactive spice, which extends life and perception. Spice is necessary for interstellar travel since it makes possible the expanded consciousness of the navigators who plot faster than light jumps, folding space time to travel instantly from one planet to another. My gosh, Chalamet is so tiny. <laughs> He's so little. God. He's just a little guy. He needs to eat some fucking protein. <laughs> Like, he's on a planet that clearly looks like it farms. Where's the food going? <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, and for me, I watched and immediately I go, okay, I'm watching this table talk right here. And I've got, this is a space fantasy. We've got magic. We got magic, baby. Hey, hey, magic, baby. Star Wars calls it the force. Benny Jesuit has the voice and more. Yes. Uh, the learning that Paul does is super important to the viewer. It is necessary data dump with simple visuals to aid in understanding. Yes which I thought was smart. They did take some of the ideas from the 84 beginning and put it into this scene to help you understand. And again, I appreciated that as someone who struggled with this movie. Yeah, no, it's it's a smart move. Yeah. Uh, not to be insulting, but the average it. movie goer wouldn't be interested in a hard science fiction movie. No. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. Sci-fi never tends to do well. Yeah. Um, but again, I think part of it is because a lot of science fiction movies, when they're put out there, try to bring in relatable things from today's culture to keep the audience member involved. Whereas this is kind of like, fuck it, we're just going to do whatever we want. And if you like, I mean, there's a certain things where I'll point them out later on where I was like, ah, stop it right there. Mm. But it's not in your face. No. It's not in your face. No. Uh, Lato Atreides, along with soldier Gurney Halleck and mentor uh, Thufur Hawat, receive an imperial... Imper I'm going to have trouble today. Oh, you're Imper doing good. Imperial envoy who formalizes the awarding of Arrakis to House Atreides. The emperor fears Leto's growing political power and popularity in the Landsrad, a conclave of noble houses. Leto recognizes that his appointment to oversee Arrakis is a trap of some kind, but cannot refuse an imperial offer. Paul asks his friend, the elite soldier Duncan Idaho, dude, to take him along when Duncan goes to Arrakis dude. weeks ahead of time to scout things out. Duncan refuses. No way, dude. Paul confides that he's been having dreams about Arrakis and the Fremen, including one where Duncan falls in battle. 
Dude. Dude. Duncan dismisses this as merely a dream, telling Paul that everything, everywhere, all at, I'm sorry, everything <laughs> important happens when we are awake. So fucking Dune. <laughs> it's, God damn, it's so sick. It is. It's so sick. Um, And I love, I love Denise's touch on this movie. I love you keep calling him Denise. (laughs) (laughs) I love Denise's touch on this movie. (laughs) And like, I could just like, I know he's a fan of the fifth element. Because there's some, there's some things I'm like, that's very fifth element. No, you're, but I fucking love it. It's one of my favorite movies. Fifth element. Yeah. I hated it so much. Get the fuck out of here. So much. (laughs) Multipass. What? Multipass? See, I don't even remember. Oh my god. It's forgettable. Um <laughs> I'm about to slap the shit out of you. Thank God we got two desks in between <laughs> us. Okay. I can't hear Josh Brolin's voice anywhere without hearing Thanos. No, I mean it's impossible. I, <laughs> and Oscar Isaac, I'm convinced he can play 30 or 50 at this point. His face is he if he grows his beard out, he gets the little salt and pepper in there. If you he know? shaves it, he's young. Yeah. Uh, it's quite the ceremony to just turn over an entire planet to another government. Yeah. Like that's a big, that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, Duncan, Idaho. Let's talk about Duncan. Does Gee he, who? does he feel out of place in this? No. Is he like that in the book? He is a wild man. Yeah. Okay. I, I, as soon as he walked on set, I was like, is he at the wrong set? Like I felt like no, you were, like perfect. straight off of Aquaman. I'm here, guys. <laughs> he's perfect. Okay. Yeah, just, I was like, you have all these like Lado Atreides, hey, Duncan Idaho. Yeah, he's <laughs> the fucking fiercest warrior. Okay. Well, he's he's the right guy then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Paul discusses his wish to travel to Iraq as early with his father, but Lido refuses, saying that he needs Paul by his side. He explains it's the political situation. The Emperor has set up a conflict between House Atreides and House Harkonnen, a war which will weaken them both to the benefit of the Emperor. Lido insists instead intends to strike an alliance with the Fremen in order to harness their desert power to his own and outwit the Emperor. Paul expresses his doubts about his ability to succeed his father as a leader. Leto confides his own doubts when he was young and insists that Paul will find his way to leadership just as he did. And Paul's our Luke Skywalker in this. Yeah. Yeah. But his character is different enough to warrant massive props. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I saw parallels, but it wasn't like a direct linear. I was like, He's a necessary character for this type of movie. And yes, the blueprint has been there, but let's be honest, guys. Dune came before Star Wars. Womp, womp. Womp, 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 womp. <laughs> uh, I do like the father-son moment here, though. It's great. Yeah. And I think this is, once again, something that is through what we've got, Mike. Whoa. Uh, I think there's this is something that is kind of prevalent throughout in that this is a master of storytelling in subtlety. Yes, there's so many subtle things and so many visual cues that can mm. fill you in, but it's not just blatant. Right. I like the fact that in other iterations of this type of story, the father would hold back on his own past and just push the future, the future, you're the future, you're the potential. Future. And this one, like right away, he just goes, let me tell you about my experiences. And you're like, okay, we're world building. Yeah. We're, we're okay. This is not just going to be push the one kid into what he doesn't want to do. I like that. 
Anything about that desert power. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cheesy, but I get it. It works. I mean, strong, strong ground army, strong water army. But they don't actually know how many Fremen are there yet. No. Yeah, which is weird because the Harkonnens should know. They've been there for a thousand years, right? Yeah, but if you don't give a fuck about them and you're just killing them, you're, okay. not, you're not going to seek out and make peace. You're like, I'm taking this shit. Yeah. I'm gonna, if you want to try and stop me, go for it. Okay. Uh, Gurney has a sparring session with Paul, insisting that the young Ducal heir must be more wary about the danger posed by the Harkonnens and more ruthless in battle. And this is one of those scenes where people wonder how this movie will do it differently than the 84 film. Well, the old film, it's pretty iconic how they did it. And this one looks very much updated. <laughs> yeah. I prefer this much better because yeah. the other one's hard to see what the hell's going on. Yeah. Uh, th- and, you know, there, I'll bring it up later, but there's some continuity issues with uh, the shields. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I missed this. I can't wait to hear what you guys say. I, this was my this was my most recent because I was I was just watching it yeah and uh, I was like huh because to be clear the shields if you do a direct strike it doesn't go through but if you slowly go through the yeah, shield the slow blade then it will through. go through yeah yeah which makes you wonder why everybody's just fighting slowly then because <laughs> it doesn't look good on film. Wiener. <laughs> Have you seen my wiener? Have you seen my wiener? Um, so far, yeah. I'm loving the cast. Timbo, he's doing okay. He's hanging on. Who's, I just who's Timbo? Timothy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Timmy boy. Denise and Timbo, we got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> dude, Thanos. His line, "They're brutal." Yes. Is such an excellent delivery. You you feel and hear the fear mm-hmm. about this entire Operation. congregate of people. Yeah, he's like these people are nothing to joke about. And he's talking about the Fremen. No, he's talking about the Harkonnens. Oh, the Harkonnens. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Now my gears start going. Okay. Uh, why do they need to be ready for the Harkonnens? I thought this was a transfer of stewardship. When is a gift not a gift? to quote the movie well, I don't know so the reason <laughs> the reason they know something's off yeah is because and this is this is kind of the problem where you've heard it in the movie so far okay that Atreides is extremely popular yes Emperor is a very jealous person and right. they and Atreides are getting too popular. Okay. I did not think that the emperor was any position to lose his position. He I thought could. it was just, he governed over all these other sites and that was all. Atreides was getting too popular. Okay. So there is a transfer of power that could happen. Yes. Okay. Also. Now, all right. Why he's not married to Jessica, which we can talk about later. Well, yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so they know in the order of things, everything's fine. Harkonnens have spice and they have Arrakis. Right. They know that they're being set into a trap mm. by the emperor, but they can't do anything because he's the emperor. Right. And he's got the entire army of the Sardaukar. Sardaukar? Sardaukar. Thank you. 
behind him, which is apparently the greatest army in the world. Yeah. Or in the universe. In the universe. His okay. personal his personal army. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's why they're sent there. Mm-hmm. And the Harkonnens are told to leave. Okay. And I, what I liked about that is that you were telling me things that were actually in the movie that I didn't put together, which makes me appreciate it even more. Exactly. It wasn't stuff that came from the books. That always drives me crazy when I hear people go, well, this happened. Well, you didn't say that in the movie. This was all in the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> I can't give the grade any higher, I think, at this point. Uh, we'll talk about that later. We get a journey to Gata Prime, uh, where the Harkonnens hang. This place is straight out of Blade Runner. Oh, man. What did you think about the design of Baron Harkonnen? Oh, I thought it was perfect. I, God, I do not miss the boil-covered, slobbery, oh. It was so gross. Fat men being served by naked little boys. So gross. <laughs> this was perfect. It's so, it's just dark enough. It's just creepy enough. It's just, it's just enough. I heard that Stellan Skarsgård was spending like eight, nine, ten hours in makeup for this role. Damn, dude, just eat some fucking cheeseburgers. Well, it's, it's, like, it's like Colin Farrell in The Penguin. Why don't you just get a fat guy then? <laughs> because Skarsgård is so fucking good. Because oh, he ba- speaks a line. You, you're, you're there. Baron is such an important character. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just they fucking crushed it. He he fucking crushed it. And I remember one of your pals, maybe Steve, brought up that the planets aren't like distinct enough, or people were bitching about it. Like each world was like too similar. Oh, when we were talking about Star Wars? No, we were talking about Dune. Like, some of the planets look too similar. Well, Steve's never seen Dune. Oh. Yeah. My dude. Uh, <laughs> okay. The may, okay. I thought it was you that brought it up. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't me. But that was, like, my point of, uh, you're not in fucking Star Wars anymore. No, my problem, the only time I've said that is when it came to talking about episode nine of Star Wars, when I said, you know, y- y- you went to this place just make it fucking Tatooine. It's the same goddamn place. Okay. You went this place. Just make that Endor. Why are you saying it's something other than Endor? It's the same fucking thing. Yeah. Um, but and this, no, I like this because they are different environments that you're going to. Habitable. Habitable environment, yes. Yeah, because you're not going to have a, a Al- Hoth. Although you're not going to have a Mustafar. Let's be honest. I mean, Dune isn't exactly a habitable planet. It, it's missing a little thing called water. Yeah, but it has the most precious resource in the entire galaxy. Right. Yes. Universe. Whatever. Yeah. Solar system. It gets, it gets small. <laughs> gets, gets out there. Uh, Paul begins to have dreams of Chani, Jessica's Bene Gesserit, Superior Reverend Mother Gaius, Helen Mohayim, Mohayim, uh arrives on Caladan to test Paul. Boy, they really do a great job of making the Bene Gesserit seem like witches to be feared. Oh, my God. And the soundtrack the, that goes oh, with them. with the women. Oh, oh, yeah. I think I got it right here. A little chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is three minutes and 54 seconds. <laughs> Imagine doing some psychedelics in a fucking uh, isolation tank with They're, this playing. <laughs> <laughs> Their entrance into this movie with playing this in the dark coming out of that ship, I was like, yeah, I don't want to talk to them. 
they, that, that's that's uh, that's some scary shit right there. Yeah. And uh, I hate to keep doing this, but it's going to be something that you always hear with space fans movies. It's the comparison. But did you watch the Clone Wars series at all? Yes. This reminded me of the witches in the Clone Wars. Oh series, yeah, who are also like fuck. You don't you don't screw you don't with them. Fuck with them. <laughs> yes. Uh, but this is kind of where I start to put those things together. Like you know, if you think of how world religions work, if you're in one area of the world and you know that religion, and you go to a completely different area of that world. And it's a completely different religion with the exact same values and the same types of mini beliefs, obviously the larger ones being different. You could make a case that in this massive universe, Dune and Star Wars can exist in the exact same time period. They're just calling it different things and used for different areas, different things. Like in the same universe? Like for instance, the Bene Gesserit who use this spiritual, I hate killing it magic because it seems so fruit like we need to call it magic, uh, but that's essentially what the force is. It's magic. Yeah. yeah. Over here, they've gotten to a point where there's two different levels of it, bad guys, good guys, and blah, 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 blah. Over here, it's much more industrial. And it's yeah. and it's a different thing. But if the Millennium Falcon flew overhead, you'd be like, okay, guys, we don't go into that area of space. <laughs> we don't go over there. That one's brutal. Yeah. And if they flew overhead with one of their little, you know, uh, little ships and be like, they got these weapons down there. It's like a fire stick, you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it could exist. And that's why I'm like, I can buy both of these worlds being real in this fantasy area. Okay. Yeah. I now, I'm not asking for a crossover. Everybody, please don't think that at all. I do not want to see a crossover. No. Donald Glover, you stay in your lane. <laughs> um, okay, before the meeting, he's inspected by Suck Doctor, or is it Suk? Suk. Suk Doctor Wellington UA, who warns Paul that the Benny Gesserit have their own agenda. And what I this is where I was kind of like, is what? it? Is it Mandarin? In the closed captioning, it says speaking Mandarin. It says that in the closed captioning. I would like to test that out. To see if, if it, that's not an actual fault of the captioning. If it's a fault, then it is. Because I I know with these types of movies, I got to have the captioning on to catch all the little details of the planets and all that stuff. And when it said, speaking, because he talks to him first, and then he says something in a different language. And it says, speaking Mandarin. It, I went, huh? So Earth is mentioned in the lore of Dune. Well, this is what, 10,150 some years? After the... Bularian Jihad. It's in our history in the way, way, way future. Yes. Yes. It's 20th. Oh, they use, sorry, they use different time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they also have American Sign Language in this. Because that's the other thing that pops up on there is when she does her little thing right there, it says in ASL. And I went, I would see. I would like to verify these. Yeah, check it on a voodoo. I, I saw it as soon as I, I that. Well, not not yeah. not verifying that it ha exists, but if it's actually American Sign Language or the captioning people for audiences, yeah, just like something to refer to. Mahayam brings Paul through the puts Paul through the test of the Gam Jabbar using a poisoned needle and a pain inflicting box to judge his character. After the test, Mahayam asks Paul about his dreams and whether they sometimes come true. The Gam Jabbar. What do you think about the Gam Jabbar? Arguably one of the most iconic scenes in Dune. Yeah. 
I thought it was done perfectly. It's what? And it's the first time you heard like the voice. Yes. And I, my jaw was on the floor. It's demonic. It's demonic, but you also get the perspective of what it's like to be the voice to be used on you. Yeah. And then that wasn't, I didn't even, that's fucking wild. Yeah, it's done a lot differently than 84. Yeah. <laughs> um, Reverend, Mother's Reverend got Mother is perfect casting. Yeah, I like the fact that they kept her unveiled. Oh, it's so mysterious. Now, is there something in the box? The pain. But is it in the mind or is it actually something inflicting pain? The mind. Okay, okay. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate? Leads to, to episode suffering. seven, eight, nine. Leads to suffering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's described that his hand is just being burned. Okay. All right. Because I, I, I don't care either way. Yeah, it's supposed, to, it's supposed to be like the most intense pain anybody can ever experience. Yeah, when she puts the little needle to his throat, I was kind of like, okay, I know this scene now. <laughs> God. This is the gum jabar scene. <laughs> I know. I fucking hate this theme. You do? This motif. I, this is the first time I ever dock Hans Zimmer. Really? Is it the yeah. is it the choral voice in the background? Is that it? It's so unoriginal to me. I don't, oh, I don't okay. Okay, okay. But no, like where I dock him is, yeah. there's no motif or theme. It's the most well, none of his- unmemorable, unmemorable soundtracks I think he's ever done. Well, I can only think of one that's memorable, and it's the Dark Knight drums. That's it. Interstellar? Are you kidding me? Couldn't even hum it if you asked me to. Oh, the organs? Okay, I remember the organs when you said that. And the fucking, the massive bass with, I mean, he uses organs throughout the whole thing. Yeah. But, oh my God, it gives me chills. Yeah. This this movie never gave me. There's nothing melodic about this movie. No, and that's kind of what bummed me out. Because even Blade Runner... Like, I know it has a vibe and has a sound, which this movie does too. Yeah. But, and where I appreciate Hans Zimmer's genius in this bit is he elevates every mood, character, and action. But there's nothing outside of that. See, for me, I love the soundtrack, which is weird because I normally hate soundtracks that don't have a consistent melody that sticks in your head like an earworm. Yeah. Because that's Which I part- think he's totally capable of. Absolutely is. Uh, but I also love this soundtrack because it just seems like every single note he has, every single motif he puts in there, I think is perfect for the scene it's actually in. And I don't feel taken out by the soundtrack. Yes. Now, I may not like certain parts of the soundtrack, but I get why it's there. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. Ooh, fun ones. Fun fact. Yes. You know the bagpipes when they land on the uh, <laughs> yes on Arrakis. Uh huh. Oh, I I love it. I think that works perfectly. You really? Yes, I do. I was like bagpipes. Really? We've kept the most annoying instruments through all these years. <laughs> that's a good only like, the recorder. The recorder's out also. <laughs> uh, that's Guthrie Govan guitar playing. That's what? Guthrie Govan. What's that? Oh, he's one of the greatest guitar players. Oh, okay, okay. He's That's a guitar player. It's not it's bagpipes? Not, it's not bagpipes. Wow. That's a that's fucking impressive. Right? <laughs> I Now I want to go back and listen to it and see if I can hear the actual... Oh, I can't. 
I can't. I only know it because they did the behind the scenes. And apparently Hans Zimmer and Guthrie Govan are fucking tight. Learn new things every day. Yeah. Afterward, Mohayim berates Jessica for producing a son for Duke Leto rather than the daughter she had been ordered to produce. She's not a cow. She accuses Jessica. Uh. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Just she kidding. Accuses, she accuses Jessica of thinking that her son might be Kwisatz Haderach. The fulfillment of a... I'm going to keep butchering these names, so you tell me if I'm wrong, okay? Kwisatz Haderach. Thank you. The fulfillment of a Benny Gesserit messianic prophecy, Jesus Christ. Jessica confirms... I didn't mean just... I, okay. <laughs> Jessica confirms that it's... Just belief. another white savior. <laughs> Do we need another... <laughs> Oh my gosh, does that suck? Jessica confirms this belief and Mohayim warns her that Paul's abilities are not fully developed and that he might die in the coming trials. Now when Mohayim leaves, Paul confronts his mother about what Mohayim meant. Jessica explains that the Bene Gesserit have spent hundreds of years engaged in a selective breeding program to produce an unparalleled mind who can see both the past and the future. She's having a bad day. She's having a real bad day. Got this into her son getting tortured, gets yelled at by the queen witch, and now her son has figured out that he's nothing more than part of an overall plan. Yeah. Did she know about all this? Yes. Then I feel nothing for the bitch. She knew better. <laughs> she it, It's a part... I mean, just like the doctor warned. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's a smart way to, to, to bring in, like, the how, how the Benny Gesserit operate yeah they obviously they're under the emperor they serve the emperor right but they manipulate through the powers of their spice to be on a path okay are you born with benny Gesserit powers or is that something that you learn you know i don't know I, I think you are born okay they're all women right well except for paul Except for Paul. Yeah. I guess he's Ben Jesuit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Atreides arrive on Arrakis. <sighs> when they disembark their ship, locals begin chanting a phrase Paul cannot recognize. Paul asks his mother, and she explains that it's a local prophecy of the Lizan al-Gaib, the voice from outer world, a prophesied messiah on Arrakis. Jessica says that they think Paul might be this figure, but Paul dismisses it as mere superstition spread by the Bene Gesserit. Everybody's got a messiah, I guess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just realizing that the space butthole is the folded space. What? Like when, when they show the butthole in the space where the ships come out of? Uh, the giant ship? That's that's the folded space. That's what I'm seeing it as now. No, that's a ship. That's okay. Then I guess I got that it's wrong. It's uh, <laughs> a ship. <laughs> I thought that was the folding of space because you don't see anything behind it. No. Okay. That see, this is where you just have to like take it as it is because you don't see the well, navigators and you're not really told about the navigators. Well, I'm, yeah, it doesn't change my opinion of this movie because just something different that I yeah. thought it was. I mean, it's, it's man, the fucking scale. Absolutely, it's huge. It's like just little itty bitty blips <laughs> coming out of this giant fucking craft. Yeah, it looks like dust. Man, it's so dope. Uh. Great shot of Paul looking out to the water on his planet, knowing he'll probably never see water again. Yeah. And uh, I I love the design of the ships in this. Oh, they're great. They're fantastic. And they just have that 
retro sci-fi feel, but in a modern like design. Like the land ones that they use on Dune that look like dragonflies. Ornithopters. Yes. He fucking nailed it. Uh, I do like the conversation between Paul and his mom because Paul's a doubter. Yeah. Which uh, was a good catch because that's prevalent throughout his arc. Well, yeah, it's the denial of the prophecy. Hero's yeah. journey. Yeah. You know? I, I can't go on it. I, I got to help my uncle on the farm. <laughs> I'm getting too old for these types of things. Okay. Jessica hires a Fremen servant. Shout out. No, okay. Shout out Mapes. <laughs> Mapes. Mape. Mapez. Shit. Okay. Shitty sees Jessica and Paul as a fulfillment of the Lizan Al-Gaib. Lizan Al-Gaib. Thank you. And gives Jessica a dagger made from the tooth of a Shai Halud, the immense sandworms which make the desert of Arrakis so dangerous. And this is where my first red flag comes out. Oh, really? Okay. And it's mentioned before, uh-huh. but this is like, the big one because sometimes you know people do research and they just call something something but when you get to the actual location it's like no it's actually this you okay. learn the actual history Shai Halud is the god worm there's only one Shai Halud it's not the sandworms. so this is where I have a problem okay. because spoiler alert when Paul proves himself as a Fremen he rides Shai Halud. Okay. He rides the Godworm that nobody does. And that's where the Fremen are like, oh, fuck, it's him. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wonder what they're going to... Because they just call the Shai Halud the worms. It's, maybe they'll call it, Maybe this one will be Shai Halud, like, ex mortis. Or, I don't know, but yeah, something. something extra special. But I was to like, it. that's a weird That's a weird call, because you can just say it was sandworms. Yeah. Yeah, but then they have to be like, okay, well, we're gonna, we've always said sandworms. Now we're going to give another name for a sandworm. And then later on in the next movie, we're going to call it something else also. Yeah. So I don't know what they're going to, I mean, I, I really hope they don't downplay. Because you can't, I mean, it's such a pivotal moment. And it's an iconic part of the movie itself. Yeah. Is the writing of it. Um, Paul sees someone watering trees. Where's the water coming from? I know, but you don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so in the novel, <laughs> they have wind traps to capture the moisture in the air using condensers to draw it out. Yes. That night, while he studies a holographic image of the Muad'Dib desert mouse, Paul survives an assassination attempt by a hunter-seeker drone with mapes, enters the room, distracting it. And let's be honest, we all want to see a sandworm at this point. That's why we came to see That's this why movie. why we came to see this movie. Yes. And you got to dance to get past the worms. Yeah, do a little dance, little little, little dance, little shimmy, dancey dance. Yeah, Uh, did he? Okay, so the hunter seeker flies in and it stops right in front of him. Did he stop it with its mind? No, it it he doesn't. It's because it pauses. It it pauses because it doesn't know if it's a person. It doesn't know if it's a target. Okay, so that's why because he stays. He hides in the light and he stays extremely still no motion okay and it's when the servant comes in that it kicks the motion sensors off and flies towards the servant i was focusing on maybe it's another power he has oh no because that's where my mind's at i'm like it's, it's what are the powers of the benny jesuit i need to know at this point yeah you know uh okay that's good to know all right we go back to the harkonnen planet and we see the reverend mother peter devries and the baron all talking in silence and whatever that fucking thing is they're t- <laughs> oh, it's so cool. 
I'll get to that. <laughs> They're discussing the Harkonnens attacking the Hydrates on his word, but only because he believes the planet will do their deaths for him. Then he flies into the air and hovers. I've got questions. Yeah. One, how does that fat man fly? It's a device. Two, how have the Bene Gesserit not just taken over everything if everyone's afraid of them? Because they serve the emperor. Okay. My big question, who would keep that spider looking thing around just to hang about? The fuck is that thing? <laughs> I don't fucking know. I have no idea what it is. I totally forgot it about is. that. When I was watching it the other night, I was like, nope. Mm -mm, nah. -uh. The only thing I could think of is maybe it's a face dancer, which is a, it comes way later. They're like, uh, shapeshifters okay but it looks like a pet it looks yeah it's so fucking cool it's so creepy it's i did not like that one, i <laughs> whoever i applaud whoever came up with that design and idea and put that thing in there because it fits yeah that so was perfect that was like my worst nightmares visualized right there yeah uh and to the sound design how, how he flies yes the part of the this whole experience is the sound everything sounds so full mm -hmm. and thick so when Harkonnen is like adjusting his like the device that he's as attached to his neck okay like those yeah yeah the red lights that are just, up and down it yeah the sound just fucking hits so perfectly yeah no the, the sound is amazing in this uh, I listen I actually watched this with headphones on yeah. And because I was like, if I'm going to do this right, I don't get the theater experience. I got a big screen TV. I'm going to have the, I plugged them in. I was like, yeah. we're going to do it this way. And I don't think a single bit of this movie sounds flat in no. any way. No. Never. Um, there's always something stimulating. So you. juicy. <laughs> Leto surveys his new domain and discovers that the Harkonnens have sabotaged much of the needed infrastructure. They decide to take the issue to the Imperial Arbiter of the Transition, an ecologist named Liet Keens, who has resided on Arrakis for years. And this is me asking, like, why do the what do the Harkonnens have to gain by sabotaging the infrastructure? Don't they need the spice too? It's a we didn't give you this. Yeah. You want the spice? Go fucking get it. But don't they need the spice also? They're rich as fuck. They don't care. Okay, so there's like we've saved enough over the years to get through this. Oh my, they're they're beyond wealthy. Okay, all right. Duncan Idaho, dude, returns from several weeks living with the Fremen. He reports to the Duke that the Fremen are unparalleled fighters who live in communities known as sieges in caverns beneath the desert. Duncan confirms Thufir Hawat's belief that there are many more Fremen than previously believed. The leader of one of these sieges, Stilgar, has come to meet with Leto. Stilgar demands that the outworlders not travel beyond the city except to mine spice. Leto refuses, but he insists that the sieges will remain inviolate and that the Fremen will not be hunted while the Atreides rule. Paul invites Stilgar to stay, but he leaves. It's a cool idea to have natives who don't hide in woods or swamps. How do you solve this problem on a desert planet? You put underground caverns in. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> I like the bit with the spit. Yes. Exchanging of water. Yeah. I also love how like on edge they are when Stilgar just walks in. Yeah. Like <laughs> halt right there. I said halt. Yeah, hey, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's just like just walks in like it's he owns the damn place. How could the Harkonnens never dealt with a, the full Fremen assault if they outnumbered them by such large numbers? Like what were the Fremen waiting for? Well, they kept getting fucked up. 
But at the beginning, we kept seeing like the ambushes that the Fremen would have on the Harkonnens because they'd come up from the sand and all that yeah. stuff. And I'm like, if they're out, if they can outnumber them by like the millions, why don't they ever stop them? You know, maybe they should wa- watch Bugs Life. <laughs> You make you get the food, we eat the food. <laughs> There's a food chain. Yes, they are the grasshoppers. Oh my god, did we just Is this movie just a bug's life? Yeah. It's a C now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not even close. Duncan introduces the Atreides to some Fremen technology, including the moisture saving still suits and thumpers, which are used to attract worms. This is like a Q scene from a James Bond movie. Yeah. <laughs> Leto's party meets with Lee Keens to investigate the spice mining operations. She inspects their still suits and finds that Paul has intuitively fitted his still suit in the Fremen manner. In the native language, he says, he shall know your ways as if born to them. Yes, everything about this kid is screaming, prophecy here, prophecy. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, recycled sweat to drink. And piss. Mmm, delicious. <laughs> I wonder if it cools it at least. No, probably it's not. lukewarm sweat and piss. All right. Delicious. The party flies out to observe a spice mining operation. The mining vehicle, a sand crawler, has attracted a worm, which is drawn by the rhythmic vibrations of the crawler as it collects the spice. When a flying carryall fails to remove the mining vehicle, Duke Leto lends his small squad of ornithopters nearby to rescue the miners. When Paul gets out to guide the miners inside, he's hit with a massive dose of spice and has a series of whoa, whoa visions. Dude. <laughs> He is nearly sucked down into the sand with the crawler when Gurney grabs him and hauls him aboard his father's ornithopter. The two watch as the worm's enormous toothed maw opens and swallows the sand crawler whole. Damn, that thing's huge. I like the 1984 design better. No, really? I don't get the open turbine mouth. I thought this looked amazing. Well, here's my thought process. The mouth is open. Mm-hmm. It's constantly taking in sand. Oh, I thought it was always closed because as it's opening, it's getting wider and wider and wider when it's sucking all that in. Oh, we haven't seen a closed mouth yet. No, we haven't. No, it's always been just. I just always assumed it was closed, and then when it got underneath, it would open up. Oh, see, I don't know. I all I've seen is open mouth. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. Uh, what the hell is Paul doing? Out of the ship with his mask off. Trying to get some spice. He's going to get them spicy blue eyes now, isn't he? Nah, yeah, he's got to earn those. Oh, is that an earned thing? I thought that was just an effect from the spice. Nah, you'll find that later. Okay. Uh, I do love how the carry-all runs on four hot air balloons. You'll notice people use the spice, but only the Fremen have the blue eyes. All this technology, and we're still relying on balloons. Uh, (laughs) Here's the thing. Shut up. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, I know. Yeah. I well, it, n- <laughs> well, they also don't have computers. You're right. You never see a computer in this, do you? No, computers are not allowed. They're outlawed. Go on. I'm listening. Okay. So there was this thing. <laughs> it's called the Bootlerian Jihad that takes place in this universe. Okay. You hear about it in the book. Okay. The humans built an AI mm-hmm. and it turned on them. And so the humans had a, a fight, a, a, a war. Uh-huh. There's three sides. I don't remember the three sides. There was the, I think there was the computers, Skynet, Skynet, humans, and another faction. Uh, 
but they destroyed the the main AI. Okay. And they said no more computers. So well, that would make so sense. So this would never happen again. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. We'll get there someday. Later, Paul is examined by Dr. Yue, who informs Paula and his mother that the spice is psychoactive but shouldn't harm Paul. He tells his mom that he had visions out there, including one with a girl with blue eyes, Chani. He also sees what could be his own death, but maybe someone else's because the vision isn't clear. He also knows that his mom is prego. Uh, yeah, psychoactive. It's going to change the chemistry of his brain, but it won't be harmful. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, it's just a small addiction. When she goes, I also know you're pregnant. My first thought was, what did you do, Paul? What did you do, Paul? Paul? Not every hole's for you. Okay. We then go to- Just enhances, <laughs> man. We then go to Seleucus Secundus, the Imperial Army planet. The leader of the army is met by Peter. Peter is requesting three battalions to lead a strike on Arrakis against Atreides, and the leader agrees as the emperor requests. Um, this might be my favorite scene in the entire movie. Because of the chant? I, the it's the chant, it's the blood ritual, it's the, just, it's, I don't think I've seen anything like this in a movie before. Okay. And it gives me chills, because it's, it's just eye and ear porn to me. Oh, okay. All right. All right. It is, it's so, it's, god damn, Denise just fucking nailed it. Yeah. Are, do you think we're going to see the emperor in the second movie? Yeah, they've already cast him. Oh, they have? Yeah, he's he's a huge part in the second. Okay. Well, good. I guess he's a part. He's not a huge part. He's a part. Okay. Yeah. It's Christopher Walken. But shut the fuck up. Really? That's serious. I think it's perfect. I think he's doing a great job. <laughs> that evening, Leto and Jessica meet, and Leto confronts Jessica about the changes in Paul since meeting the Reverend Mother. He asks Jessica if she will protect Paul if something happens to him, and she says yes. But when he asks if the Benny Jesuit will protect Paul, she deflects the question. Yeah, she never answered. That's crappy. I do like the fact that there's some strife between Jessica's and Leto's motivations for Paul, but they're not married? No. Why not? Political strategy. Is 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 marrying a Benny Jesuit that concubine, big of a problem? Concubine, yes. Okay. And it, and it keeps the Okay, let's say you are in uh the king and you're rising in popularity and power. How much power you have when you're not married that you could build an alliance and keep that option open. Yeah. I guess I never thought that the Benny Gesserit would be that much of a political hit. Because it seems like everybody worships at their altar. Fear. Okay. It's fear. It's not worship. It's fear. Gotcha. Not, well, okay. Making more sense. It, it's political. Political, dude, political Star Wars, baby. It's, it's, this, is, this is Star Wars for adults. It, no. No, no, no. There is no such thing as Star Wars for adults because Star Wars was never for adults. Duke Leto. <laughs> Wait, yeah, this is Star Wars for adults. It's not Star Wars. Not Star Wars. Stop it. Duke Leto wakes at night with the sense that something is wrong. He calls security but gets no answer. He finds Mapes stabbed to death and is shot with a paralytic dart that burrows its way through his body shield and into his back, paralyzing him. Yue reveals himself as a traitor. He has lowered the shields and cut off Atreides' communications. Gurney's awakened and leads the counterattack as the Harkonnen forces, aided by the Imperial Sardukar, Troops begin their assault. 
The Atreides troops, caught unprepared and outnumbered by Harkonnen troops and the Sardukar, find themselves quickly overwhelmed. Duncan kills several Sardukar, takes an ornithopter, and tries to rescue Paul and Jessica, but finds them already gone. UA, you a dick. Yep. <laughs> how could you? Um, I really like how they call back the idea that if you go slow through the shield, you can penetrate it. There's not any excess fat in what they share in this iteration of Dune, which is a good move by Dennis. Yes. But you have a problem with the it shield. It comes engine. later. Oh, you know, it's later than this. It comes later. Okay. Uh, I am really tired of battles happening in the dark of night. You can't see shit. Thank God this lights what needs to be lit. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's take a step back and talk about the stunt we did that already. Uh, Duncan goes on a rampage. <laughs> Killing it. Yeah, we, we talked about everything else here. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen has promised the Bene Gesserit that he will not harm Paul or Jessica, so he sends some of his men to take them and leave them in the desert to die or exposure. Uh, guess what? That's killing them, dummy. Uh, <laughs> Bene Gesserit already know. God damn it. Yes, they do. <sighs> they have a path. Paul. <laughs> Paul, not fully secure in the Bene Gesserit abilities, is still able to use the voice to order one of the men to remove his mother's gag. Jessica immediately goes full-on demon and orders one of the men to kill his comrade. When she's fully freed, she kills two of them personally. Their ornithopter crashes, and Paul and Jessica see the devastation of Arakeen from a distance. Man. That, that voice. Voice is great. Use the voice, Luke. Let go. Uh, the, the, the threat of rape is a nice touch, too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I like the fact that they're legitimate threats. It's not they're, just like, I'm going to get you. Yeah, I'm not no. going to get. No, it's like, oh, no, we're going to have some fun and take our time. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's not going to harm Paul or Jessica, but as we heard, <laughs> he's spending a couple hours in the desert well, those without those special suits. will pretty much kill you. This is a death sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's nice how we see many different times of day in the desert. Normally, right? you would just see nighttime just, and day, but yeah. now they're like at all times of day. And there's something about lighting on a desert, yet you get like a full spectrum of different emotions depending on the time of day. Yeah. Uh, just brilliant move, but he's always been a visual director. Always, always. he knows how it works. Yeah. Um, UA reveals to Leto that the Harkonnen secured his compliance because they have his wife held captive. He replaces one of Duke Leto's teeth with a poison capsule, which he hopes the Duke will use to kill the Baron. UA meets with Baron Harkonnen and demands that the Baron honor his end of the deal. The Baron promises that UA will be reunited with his wife and then slits his throat. The Baron then gloats over a paralyzed Leto who bites down on his fake tooth and expels the poison, killing everyone in the room except for the Baron who is gravely injured. Medical technicians nurse the Baron back to health. A tooth always freaked me out as a kid. Yeah? Always, just the crunch of it. Now, it, it, like this is obviously not the first time you've seen something like that. No. Yeah, I mean, anytime that I've always seen those cyanide pill teeth in movies, I'm like, oh, what if you accidentally like sneezed? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it doesn't seem very, you know, thought. Yeah, I, well, I like the way it looked. It, it made more sense because in this one, um, yeah, in this movie, I believe they they stayed in like the main hall mm -hmm. of Arrakis, where in the old movies, in the book, they took him to a smaller room, and it was more private. Yeah, this was like their kitchen. Yeah, because he says yeah. you have a lovely kitchen, cousin. Yeah, which is, <laughs> and so I like that you could see 
because the other way it was just gas that would let out and then that was it but this is like you kind of see it spread like it's it's a fucking weapon oh yeah yeah uh and that was a baller move too oh such a baller move (laughs) (laughs) um we get a scene of Duncan finding Keynes and trying to get her to confirm that the emperor orchestrated the whole thing against House Atreides. And that's when I go, well, that answers all my questions then. Because she didn't even answer the question. And you could tell on her face, yeah, it happened. <laughs> yep. Uh, riding out a storm in a survival tent, Paul continues to have visions from his spice exposure. At first, they are of Chani. However, they quickly change the visions of bloody conflict and religious zealots operating beneath an Atreides flag and under Duke Leto's name, spreading across the galaxy like an unquenchable fire. Paul is horrified by what he sees and blames his mother and the Bene Gesserit, but is eventually comforted by his mother. Uh, When I see the little desert mouse, I think of Scrat from Ice Age. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I also wrote, this scene is really one where I understand why they got Chalamet. It's here I see him turn to Paul Atreides because his anger and confusion is very much the way I imagine Anakin would have acted in Attack of the Clones if there was better dialogue and direction. (laughs) (laughs) He works for this part. This part. I just, yeah. I just mm. Like if he was reading for this part, this was the scene that he read for. This little... No, no offense, yep. Timmy boy. Timbo. Just, just going to see like the fucking twink take the throne. It the doesn't work. Has spoken. <laughs> twink. Little twink boy. <laughs> just take the throne. You're like, <sighs> wow, I could flick you. <laughs> the Sardu car. Oh, wait. Paul and Jessica are rescued by Duncan Idaho. Dude! Who managed to escape the slaughter. Duncan brings them to Kynes, who has set up an abandoned terraforming station occupied by Fremen. Duncan's like a cockroach. The dude's not going to die. You have no idea. Okay. Uh, So that's where the water is. Fremen town. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Paul is going to try to make a play to be emperor. It seems like just a few minutes ago he was denouncing the prophecy. Now he's embracing it? That's a character inconsistency right there. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. But it's, it's growth. It, within like five minutes. Yeah, it's growth. <laughs> the Sardaukar track them there and attack while the Fre- with the Fremen killing many of them. Duncan sacrifices himself in a last stand to allow Paul, Jessica, and Kynes to escape. Paul and Jessica flee in an ornithopter. Kynes sets up a thumper, intending to call a sandworm and ride it away, but she is mortally wounded by the Sardaukar. Before they can deliver the killing blow, a sandworm arrives and Kynes attacks it to her, attracts it to her by pounding a patch of drum sand. Uh, I love the way this attack starts with the Sardaukar dropping from the top of the structure oh, quietly. Quietly. Floating down. But then it's the Fremen coming from the ground. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. And I get, bet Denny's was just like, oh, just storyboarding like, oh, this is great. This, this is, is fucking dope. I am a genius. <laughs> Chapter 12, Duncan's Last Stand. <laughs> yeah, this is where the inconsistency happens. Is it? There's a lot of real quick stabbing. Oh, when he's plowing through everybody. He's plowing through everybody, and he's getting stabbed. There's, there's, it's just. I wonder if there was like something that you like we missed, like where he was like grabbing the wrist and turning it off and then going into it. No, 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 because you see it. No, it's just because that action looks good. <sighs> Dune fighting with the shield probably doesn't look good on film. That is one big pile of shit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole, like, you can pull it up, like Duncan Idaho fight, and it's just like, 
uh, I thought that quick blade was not supposed to go through. It's going to be like that uh, Last Jedi fight where the dagger just goes missing all of a sudden in the shot. <laughs> the dude gets thrown back for no reason. Yes. <laughs> He's, he goes, he he does a fake swing. He's like, oh, wait, that wasn't my cue. Oh! <laughs> And she, he's not lying, guys. That's what it looks like. <laughs> no, that's exactly what. <laughs> if the Fremen live underground and the sandworms travel underground, do they ever run into each other? No. No? No. Okay. Why not? Because with the sonar, yeah. it bounces back. So they're not the sandworms aren't going to run into a, a hard object. Okay. All right. Oh, there you go. While piloting the ornithopter through a powerful sandstorm, Paul has a vision of a Fremen man giving him advice, telling him that survival in the desert is a process and that he must move with the flow of the environment. Paul retracts the thopter's rings and allows them to be carried deeper into the desert by the vortex of the storm. They survive the sandstorm, but with the ornithopter damage, they must set out on foot through the desert. As they do, they are observed by Fremen. Luke, you've turned off your targeting computer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it was. Use the force. Yeah. You assert your feelings. We get a scene here of Baron taking a bath and sending his minions off to selling spice. That's gross. Hey. What the fuck is he in? I don't know, but it's fucking cool. It just looks like oil. It's just yeah, weird. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's like that weird oil lava lamp kind of thing. <laughs> it's gross. Uh, amazing. He just comes out of it's it. It's amazing just... they weren't killing that crash. Yay, prophecies. <laughs> You know, he hit the sand just at the right angle. It reminds me of Black Adam when the one guy goes, I can't die because it's not electricity. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I'm supposed to die. That's how I'm supposed to die. Uh, get those still suits on. Mom, stop looking at your son getting naked. Son, don't you dare look at your mom. Don't make it weird, you two. <laughs> There's a little bit of an exchange there for a second. You saw it, didn't you? Moving on. You saw it. <laughs> okay. Shit, yeah, I'll check out Jessica. I mean, pff, shit. There's our rated R. Okay, Jessica and Paul make their way toward where they believe the Fremen CH is. Uh, their <clears throat> movements attract a sandworm, and they make her run for some nearby rocks. The sandworm pauses, seemingly looking at Paul for a few seconds before a thumper draws it away. A group of Fremen capture them, still guards with them, and recognizes Paul, saying that they can't touch him. Another Fremen, Jamis, Zamis dismisses Stilgar's belief and wants to kill Paul and Jessica and loot their bodies. Paul recognizes Jamis as the man from his visions. Uh, they did not just outrun a sandworm. Yeah, they do. Boo for believability there. <sighs> it's what happens in the book. It's what happens in the movie. It's one of those editing things. I think that was an issue. Yeah. I no, mean, I, I think so. Like it's it's like in Lord of the Rings when she's got uh, Frodo on her horse and the oh the the wave yeah and they just keep going further and further back as she keeps riding like dude they would have caught up by now yeah um I do love with the visions that they serve as a guidance yeah it's nice little pockets here and there yeah it's not just happenstance it's not wild coincidence and so i like the fact that the visions solidify the idea that it is fate at work yeah uh i do hate the sandwalk yeah it's goofy if the worms are attracted to consistent rhythms that the sandwalk would be one it's just more complicated rhythm it's like be like saying well they can't follow four four time let's try three four time they'll never get that no oh. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Do a waltz. <laughs> Jessica asks for help, returning to Caladan, saying that they will be rewarded, but Stilgar dismisses any reward they'd give as pointless. Stilgar offers to allow Paul, who is still young, to join their siege, but says that Jessica, who he deems too old to learn to fight, must be left behind. Jessica, at 
and Paul use their Benny Gesserit training to disarm most of the Fremen and hold Stilgar at knife point. Stilgar, realizing that Jessica is Benny Gesserit, relents and decides to take both of them to the siege. Jameis objects and challenges Jessica to a duel. Paul agrees to stand as Jessica's champion. I'm on serious trivia. <laughs> Johnny, who is part of the party, takes pity on Paul, who she believes will die at Jameis's hands, and gives him her Chris knife, a Thanks. dagger made from the tooth of the sandworm, a moment from one of Paul's visions. Thanks, MJ. <laughs> like, you couldn't even fucking tried. Nope. Couldn't even fucking tried. Just phoned this one in. <laughs> she fucking did. And it's, you know what? I blame Denise, too. It, it's Denise's fault. He's the director. In the Tell her what's up. In the duel, Paul outclasses Jameis, repeating, repeatedly holding a knife to his throat and demanding that he yield. Stilgar informs him that Fremen duels are to the death, and Jessica says that Paul has never killed anyone before. Reluctantly, Paul kills Jameis. Satisfied, the Fremen take Paul and Jessica back to their siege. Paul and Jessica see a Fremen impossibility riding a live, impossibly riding a live worm. As they begin their journey into the desert, Chani tells Paul that this is only the beginning. Now, this is the thing that I, going back to what you said earlier, when Paul rides a worm later on, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a fucking huge deal. Here's some rando riding a worm. Well, they ride worms. Oh, they, they all do. They all, they ride worms. Okay. But it's the fact that Paul rides Shai Halud, the god worm. It's when Jake Sully grabs that dragon from the sky that none of the other avatars can grab. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. That's all, a folks. Shadow killer? I don't remember what his name was. It's not in the next movie. It's not in Way of Water. Motherfucker. <laughs> uh, but that's he's just, all. He's just fucking all the animals. <laughs> just stick his little tail in, right? Create the bond. <laughs> oh. Well, according to top critics of Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a tomato meter reading of 78%. 68 fresh, 19 rotten. The critics gave this a 7.7 .7 out of 10 average. It's okay, dum-dums. Sometimes Dune occasionally struggles with its unwieldy source material, but those issues are largely overshadowed by the scope and ambition of this visually thrilling adaptation. I didn't think they struggled at all with it. They, they didn't struggle at all. Yeah. So here are three idiots that decide to say something bad about this movie. Uh, Mark Feeney from the Boston Globe said, Dune, the planet, suffers perpetual drought. Dune, the movie, feels waterlogged. Uh... It's not how I would describe that at all. It's long, but it's it's easy to digest. It's very easy to digest. Yeah. Uh, Dave Rooney of The Hollywood Reporter says, part hero's journey and part survival story, the film keeps throwing arcane details at you, which might thrill the Herbert geeks, but will have most everyone else zoning out. I am not a Herbert geek, and I was fully engaged. <laughs> Does he say this about any movie that has like a... A older sense of government and historical anything? I don't... Arcane details? Yeah, the Bene Gesserit use arcane magic. <laughs> and Richard Lawson of Vanity Fair. In all its marvel, Dune forgets to do basic things like give us someone or something to root for, or feel for, or think about for longer than the stretch of the film. <laughs> it's not a Marvel movie! I don't have a superhero to root for. Where's Miss Marvel when you need her? <laughs> Said nobody ever. Where's She-Hulk? <laughs> <laughs>
Now the audience score, they gave it a 90%, agreeing it's a three or higher there with a 4.5 out of five. There we go. Audience killed it. Movie's over. Were you entertained? I'm going to say, I was surprised after watching it for the first time that I was. I had a bad taste in my mouth from this property, and this was the one that finally hit the mark for me. 10 sandworms out of 10. Ooh, that's a lot of worm. That, okay. Now let's figure out whether the awards got it right. Okay. It got eight nominations at the Academy Awards, but Coda was up also. And people loved Coda. Had to do with. Oh, the deaf guy. Yes. Yeah. It was going to be that or Belfast that year. So Coda won for Best Picture of the Year, um, okay. and Dune was up for that one. Uh, Best Adapted Screenplay went to Coda over Dune. Don't Look Up was in this. Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, best Achievement in Cinematography, Dune won. Had to. Exactly. No fucking contest. Uh, best Achievement in Film Editing went to Dune. No fucking contest. Production Design went to Dune. No fucking contest. Costume Design went to Cruella. <laughs> Not my first choice, <laughs> but I get it. I get it because it was a fashion movie. Cruella was a fashion movie, and Hollywood splooges on fashion. Yeah, but man. It's been two hours those... before the Academy Awards just talking about fashion. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> it's like, fuck, when those, like, with anybody walking out of the ships in Dune. Yes. And with, like, the massive helmet. Everything's so fucking cool, but it's like... Right, I get it. Most of the people are in fucking still suits. Yes, but that's part of it. It's part of it. Yeah. Uh, best sound went to Dune, dude. I don't. I don't know of a movie that sounds better than no. Dune. With best, best, every ounce of it. Best achievement in makeup and hairstyling went to The Eyes of Tammy Faye uh, over Dune, uh, which good on him. I, I guess. Uh, the only no, thing coming I, to America. The only thing I would say for makeup is Baron Harkonnen. Yeah, but even then, it's not really just a fat as a small guy in a fat suit. <laughs> Best achievement in music written for motion pictures. Original score went to Dune. Hans Zimmer. Well done. Uh, what beat, original score? You beat Encanto. See, that's that's is, this is the first time I ever dock Hans Zimmer. It's the least memorable like he, he wrote an unbelievable original score that fits everything that happens all the characters yes he lifts everything up but it's so forgettable i think for this yes it's forgettable but when you watch the movie i need a john williams it enhances every overture. scene it enhances every scene but you yes. don't remember it afterwards i need a john williams overture I wouldn't want that for this. I like the fact that Dune was not like that because it it, it kept saying, "Oh, you expect this? <laughs> We're gonna go over here and do this mm. over here. We're gonna knock. We are not gonna be Star Wars. You don't have to, you don't have to be Star Wars. I mean, Interstellar has a great. Interstellar is one of my probably one of my favorite yeah original scores that he's ever done. Visual effects went to Dune. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Shang-Chi, really? Shang-Chi and Spider-Man. Marvel movies at this point should not be in the visual effects category until they get their CGI houses in order. Except for Thor, Blood and Thunder. Blood love, and Thunder? Love and, sorry. There's, <laughs> there's a great Mastodon tune called Blood and Thunder. Uh, now that being said, at the Golden Globes, best director 
went to Jane Campion of The Power of the Dog. Not Denny Villanueva. Yeah, you're fucking. I don't understand that at all. Um, best motion picture went to The Power of the Dog, not Dune. Best original score. Oh, there's Dune again. It won. Hey! It won at the Golden Globes for your original your score. score. Mr. Zimmer. Yeah. At the Academy of Science Fiction, the Saturn Awards, Tom Cruise wins for best actor over Timothy Chalamet. Top Gun I, Maverick, I baby. I agree. There's nothing that... Number one, I think that's more of a athletic performance, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. It's an athletic performance. But he's really good. He's it? really fucking good at it. Timothy Chalamet and Dune, there's not much to it. No, there's not. We, we, Both you and I could have acted as well as he did in that movie. <laughs> uh, best costume went to The Batman. <laughs> That's funny. It went to the, the Batman. The, the goth Batman. Yes. Fucking love it. Best makeup, Dune won. Okay. Best production design, Nightmare Alley won. I don't think I so. I got some questions for that. Dune should have won that one. Dune should have. Uh, yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, or every, everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> to be continued. Okay. Uh, best science fiction film? Nope. One. Nope. <laughs> nope. How are those in the same... Wait, 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 wait. Dune came out a year ago, right? Yes, but this right here, they combined the 2021 and uh, 2020 years. And Nope was released in the States, I believe, right at the tail end of when this was starting up. The window that it was in. Oh, weird. Yeah. It got in at the last second. Dune's a way better movie. Absolutely. And then at the MTV Movie Awards, uh, best movie went to Spider-Man No Way Home. Dude. It's a damn good Spider-Man movie. No, I'm not going to say it's, it's not. It's a damn good Spider-Man And if I was a kid, I would probably think Spider-Man No Way Home also. Yeah. Uh, best performance in the movie went to Tom Holland over Timothy Chalamet. Tom Holland I, showed more Tom, range. He showed way more range, <laughs> especially when uh, Aunt May, lesser, oh, rips my heart out. Kills you. Uh, but that's it. That's it for the awards. Okay. Yeah. Now, top three, bottom three. Here we go. My top three. Number three. The visuals are absolutely beautiful in 4K. Uh, my number two, sandworms. I think they look awesome. <laughs> and number no, they look great. And number one, the story is finally accessible because they broke it into two separate movies and gave it a hell of a budget. Well done. Well fucking done. Sam, what are your top three? My number three. It's fucking <laughs> Dune. Enough said. It's fucking <laughs> Dune. Uh, my number two is the casting characters are brought to life almost perfectly. Okay. Almost perfect. Yeah. And number one, the visuals, cinematography, and sound design as a unit. Mm -hmm. This movie could be shit, and it's still eye porn. It, yeah. Eye yeah. and ear porn. Oh my eye God. and ear? Eye and ear. <laughs> eye and ears. Not nose? Let's get the smell of vision. Let's see what's going on. <laughs> okay. Let's move the bottom three. Time to vent. Watch out for that first step. It's in juicy. Number three. I wish the soundtrack was more memorable, but it serves the purpose that's needed for each scene. Uh, my number two. I've said it before. Rebecca Ferguson is too young for the role of Chalamet's mom. She's a great actress, 
but I don't get a motherly feeling. I get an older sisterly feeling. And my number one, they all ran a sandworm. Bullshit. They're close enough to the rock. Bullshit. So to harp on your number two. Yep. The one I I did have a problem with the way they portray Jessica. But from a cinema perspective, uh-huh. I understand it. She's not very Benny Jesuit. Yeah, I wish she was more mystical. She's number one, more mystical. And that might come later. I'd doubt it. But she's too emotional. Yes. It seems like she's, she's crying too, at every scene. She's too frail. She's not strong. Yeah. I agree. And when she's like crying and trembling and freaking out, I'm like, you don't, you don't do this. Right. But for cinema, I get it. She's fearful for her son. They also have to downplay that to make you believe that Paul will be the strong one later on, which, and when you consider Timothy Chalamet as your actor, you're really lowering the bar for that actress. Yeah. Okay. What are your bottom three? Number three. And I will say this is just nitpicking. Mm -hmm. This is really, it's just nitpicking. Number three is some of the lore is left out. It doesn't hurt the film, but I wish there was a little more because you're missing out because I've had to explain some things yes yeah to you and other people where it was it was glanced over right right but it also could be something explained in part two exactly yeah who knows number two it needs a part two yes it feels incomplete yeah and so my grade might change (laughs) when part two comes out (laughs) because it will be a whole yes Number one, <laughs> I never thought I would say this. Say it. Hans Zimmer, you succeed in stimulating, creating so much mood and enhancing this film at every turn. But your theme is non-existent to me. <laughs> and if you say it's the, I, that doesn't do it for me. I'm sorry. It doesn't do it for me. It, took you out (laughs) it takes me out it bugs the shit out of me well let's get into our critics rating okay c is average a is the highest f is the lowest if it's so bad it goes to the global killer i don't think it's going to go there but question is what do we give 2021's dune in the space fantasy movie genre today i'm gonna go first because it's your movie so here we go dune has always been one of those films or properties i could never get into and as a book it is exhausting as a film or tv adaptation it was cheap overly complicated or had too many liberties taken with it however this movie is such a wonderful change of pace it's highly accessible to everyday space fantasy fans and the writing is the key to its greatness adapting this massive tome was always going to require two movies good job and massive props to the writers for doing the impossible taking a big ass book cutting it in half making it simple and yet making a massive world in the process brilliant writing And for those who think this is science fiction rather than space fantasy, I say this. There's too much magic in this for to be science fiction. To be a space fantasy, I usually find myself asking myself, could this movie exist in the far reaches of space in the same universe as Star Wars? This is most definitely a space fantasy. It's like living your whole life in the Roman Empire and believing in Christianity, and then you take a boat across the sea and you meet people who believe in something very similar in Islam with many of the same principles, and you realize the world is much bigger than you thought. 
The acting is great for this film. The writing is fantastic. The soundtrack is perfect for each moment and it's surprisingly paced very well. It also ends on a perfect part of the movie to end on. I'm really, uh, I'm gonna say this, I'm really looking forward to part two. As of right now, this movie's an A for me. It's better than any Star Wars movie that has been made and deserves to be at the top of space fantasy movies. However, if the story falls short in part two, it's liable to drop a few marks, especially considering how when part two comes out, I'm going to make a play that part one and part two are to be considered one movie instead of two because of how this movie ended. Sam, the ball is in your court. Led Dune. <laughs> a special place in my heart. I've wanted Spice Eyes since I was a little kid. Truly one of my favorite books of all time. One of the very few books I've reread multiple times. When it was announced that Denise would be directing, I knew it was in perfect hands. The sound is perfect. Everything is so dense and full. I only wish there was a more prominent theme. Cinematography. Some of the scenes are on par with Avatar. And it's, it fits what I imagine Dune was like. And it's captured so perfectly. And my jaw drops every time I watch this. The writing is spectacular. The cast, fucking stellar. And I can't wait for the development of the new characters and more from Stilgar and everyone. See how they grow. Because it is such a massive journey. And Florence Pugh. I'm looking at you. <laughs> Story. Denise is so smart to cut this into two parts. And honestly, it could be a trilogy and I'd be in heaven. It moves. While the pacing is more mature and not as quick and fast paced as a Fast and Furious movie, this is Star Wars for adults. This is economics. This is political strategy. This is the big boy. This is the time for the big boys at the big table. Okay, And it's so much more mature than most of the BS that comes out today, placating to the fast thrills, flashy lights, and quick hero beats bad guy. It does feel incomplete without a part two, though. And for that, I give it a B plus. Okay. And when part two comes out, this grade, because I feel like I'd be grading both movies at one. Okay. So kind of what I'm thinking? Yeah, so it could go up. Yeah. But as of right now, it feels incomplete. And that's why it's a B plus. Well, your B plus makes this movie an A minus score. Nice. And puts it at the top. Tip top. At the tip top of the space fantasy genre, which also knocks out a new hope again. <laughs> new hope has been in and out of this thing so many times <laughs> so the new pantheon of space fantasy with all of our new grades dune is in first place with a a minus score followed by star wars episode three revenge of the sith episode five the empire strikes back episode six return of the jedi episode seven the force awakens episode one the phantom menace and rogue one is holding on by its claws please please let me in everybody likes me at number seven <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> now 
Critic stats off. Do you love this movie? Like this movie or none of the above? I, I never thought I would ever say this. <laughs> I love this movie. I love this movie. Sam? Oh, I said it a million times already. I, I yep. fucking love this movie. And that's it. You should see that. You need to see this if you want. If you're someone who's a Star Wars fan who hates where Star Wars went, you want something different for God's sakes, start with Dune. It's it's fantastic. And the, this Dune, don't go to 84. Don't you do that. Do it. Don't you do it. Do it. <clears throat> <clears throat> And that's all we've got time for today, Movie Planters. And that's also a final capper for the end of season five. The year of 22 has been a wildly fun journey as we tackled some unusual movies from our normal oeuvre. Uh, this year, we covered the beginning of the MCU's phase four and agreed to wait until the multiverse saga is completed before going over any other movies because they sucked. <laughs> we did the Mad Max saga. Never thought I would do that, but I enjoyed it. Hey. Uh, number three, we, we did three musicals in Little Shop of Horrors, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Les Mis. We did two global killers in Waterworld and Rocky Horror, and we did one perfect score in Mad Max Fury Road. I honestly thought this one was going to be a perfect score also, though, but maybe it will be. We don't know yet. We'll see. It, this is a part of a greater whole slice. Honestly, I couldn't do the show without my most recent co-host, Sam and Steve. The show has evolved and continues to evolve as hosts rotate through. Hopefully, we can bring back Caitlin now that UT College football is almost done. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what's coming up in season six, starting on January 4th. Well, starting in February. We're going to take about a month off. Here. Okay. We're going to take a month off. We freaking deserve it. We've done 160 movie review shows. We want to continue without burning out. John Wick. Remember the Titans. Disney's Hercules, which we've been talking about for it seems like two years to do. Yeah. We're finally going to get that shit done. Guy Ritchie's. Yes. We're going to do some comedies in there. Deadpool 1 and 2. The Dark Crystal. We've had forever the argument. You're either a Labyrinth fan or a Dark Crystal fan. I'm a Crystal fan. What are you? Crystal. All right. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll sneak another trilogy in there, like the Riddick trilogy. Or the Godfather. Or Blade. Oh. Or the Planet of the Apes recent movies. Anything's possible. We don't know. Not that, Damon. I can promise this. Uh, for those of you that have the need for speed, we will be hitting Maverick. Oh, I thought you were gonna. I thought we were gonna do Fast and Furious one through nine. Now, Sam, sure. Sam, I can't say no if you nominate it. <laughs> <laughs> I that arc. We ha we have a. Rule nomination goes. Through, we got. We got to do it. Ten movies. Fuck me. Ten movies, Joe. I mean, that could be our summer. That's a whole season. That that could be our summer. That's half a season. It's 22, 22, 23 for a season. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean, and give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and follow our Instagram. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Sam, any last words? For 2022, <laughs> try this. Spice my life. <laughs>
What's the best way to watch Dune? <laughs> best way to watch Dune is uh, if you can get into an IMAX, do that. Yeah. If you can't, the biggest screen with the best sound, Sonos, Bose, or even headphones. Ah, nice. Substance is optional. Substance. <laughs> Have yes. a real good time. And I'm going to say, when Dune comes out on the big screen, Dune Part 2 comes out, they will play Dune Part 1 in theaters again. Oh, they might, yeah. They probably will. And don't be surprised if there's a back-to-back showings that's, that they start doing. And if that's the case, that's the one you go to. Do a back-to-back showing of it. Otherwise, let the spice flow. And uh, happy happy movie watching. We're out of here. Yeah. Happy New Year, everybody. See you next year. Have a good one. We're out.